listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Hey, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to be in a second. Acts chapter 1. So we've been in this April series. Today's obviously the last day where we've been... Uh, looking at this idea that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross and the resurrection changes absolutely everything in our lives. So week one was our redemption. And we looked at the fact that Jesus on that cross paid the price for our sin. He redeemed us. He was the propitiation. So he was the satisfaction for the wrath of God. All of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus And instead of us getting God's wrath, now we get the grace of God. Amen? So our redemption. The second we looked at our rejoicing, that Jesus rose again, that he conquered death, hell, and the grave, that we have new life in Jesus Christ. Then the third week, we looked at our reality. So because of what Jesus did on the cross, and because he rose again, we have a new reality. So we looked at Romans, the end of chapter 4, and we looked at Romans 5, that We've been saved by grace through faith, and now we have this new reality in Jesus that because we've been accepted by the grace of God, now we stand, our new reality, our new permanent position, our sphere of existing is in the grace of God. We stand in the peace of God. Then last week, we looked at our relationship, and Tyler did a great job looking at the Holy Spirit and the idea that he is not just a spirit, not just a a, a, uh, an, an energy. You know, he is a person, and we get to walk with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us changes everything. And today, our, our focus is our responsibility, that if we know Jesus Christ, we've been saved by grace through faith, that changes everything in the sense that now we have a responsibility to make disciples. And here's, speaking of realities, here's what happens. We're all about getting on the train for our redemption. Been saved by grace through faith. It's awesome. Jesus saved me. He redeemed me from sin. We're all about getting on the train for our rejoicing. Woohoo! I have new life in Jesus Christ. We're all about getting on the train of this new reality of, man, now because of I've been saved by grace through faith, I'm accepted into God's presence. I have peace with God. We're all about that. We're all about, even though we're Baptists, we're all about the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are. And he lives inside of us. Woohoo, it's awesome. But I think too often we want to get off the train before we talk about our responsibility. We're like, nah, I'm good, man. I'm good. See, what happened was we like to just kind of stop and say, how can this be about me, me, me? I don't want to have to really do anything. But if you know Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility of making disciples, of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And just for clarity, not so that God will accept you. No, surely if you've been here these four weeks, you understand because of grace, because of what Christ did on the cross, you're already accepted in Jesus if you've come to him for salvation. So this is not about earning something or proving something to God. No, it's because you've been saved by grace through faith. Now this is the way I want to live. I want to make disciples. I want to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus lays it out in two very famous passages. If, you, if you're not familiar with these passages, these are great ones to memorize or at least begin to read and study. So let's read just the first one, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
Jesus died, rose again, spent time with the disciples. He's fixing to ascend into heaven. But before he does, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So as believers, we have a responsibility to take the gospel, uh, to be witnesses, to tell of what we've seen in Jesus, to take that to our hometown and beyond to the ends of the earth. We're to spread the good news. To, as a phrase we've used some over the past couple of years is to love the lost by having gospel conversations. If you know Jesus, that is a responsibility for you. Now, you can keep your finger there because we'll be back there, put a bookmark, whatever. But back in Matthew chapter 28, that's another passage we're going to look at. Matthew 28, this is the second of those I was saying are, are great ones to be familiar with. Matthew 28, and we're going to read verses 16 through 20. I'll give you a second to get there because I want you to put your eyes on it. By the way, while you're turning, if you don't have a Bible, that Bible in the chair back in front of you or near you, you can grab that, snag it, and take it home. That'd be awesome. And you can use it this morning. <laughs> Matthew 28, 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Remember, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So these passages go really well together because it includes everything we need to do. We need to be witnesses, share the gospel with people who haven't heard it, but it doesn't just stop with telling them a message. No, we're to actually make disciples. Sharing the gospel is the beginning of making disciples, but he says we're to teach them to observe everything he's commanded. We're to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. I love what David Platt says, that salvation is the starting line, not the finish line. So pe people receiving the gospel, people getting saved, that's the starting line, that's, that's not the finish line. So it'd be like if you, uh, you know, your, your wife had a baby, and this is awesome, congrats, and it is awesome. But if you just like, all right, we've finished it, they're good to go. Have a good time at the hospital. We'll see you later. <laughs> like that, you wouldn't do that, right? That, you're just getting started. Like our kids are five now. I love when people are like, "Hey, man, uh, I'm glad you're having a good time, but you're just getting started still, right?" Like there's a long road ahead of you. That, that's discipleship. Is yes, them believing in Jesus. That's the beginning. But there's a long road ahead, a good road, a good journey of them growing in Christ. We I said this earlier, uh, or back in March, um, as we were in Second Timothy and thinking about discipleship, but it's kind of a big word, kind of a churchy word. What does that mean? Real simple. It's helping people know and grow in Jesus. That's what discipleship is. We want them to know Jesus, so you got to share the gospel with them, but then you help them grow in Jesus, to become more like him, to, to learn his word, to learn what it means to walk in the spirit, to learn what it means to, to walk in that new reality that they have in Jesus Christ since they've been saved by grace through faith. So to say it another way, it's inviting them to Jesus, but then 
investing in them so that they grow in Jesus. That's what we're to be about. No matter your age, no matter your profession, no matter if you're a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, that's what we're to be about. Making disciples. I want to ask a question. You can think about it in your head or write it down if you want, like your answer. Why don't you make disciples? Or if that doesn't feel like it lands, like what, why don't you do it more? <laughs> why don't you make disciples more often in your life? We say, hey, we're busy. I don't know how to. I don't know how to, I, I, I kind of get, but really it's, it's just, again, if you know Jesus is helping people know him too. So praying with them, talking with them, reading scripture with them, doing life together. It's like, you don't have to have a book and there are lots of books out there, but it's just walking with people, doing life, pushing them towards Jesus. Why don't you make disciples? Just a couple weeks ago, taking the kids, it was a Monday morning, taking the kids to school. And on Mondays, to, uh, to encourage them to get out of bed after the weekend, we do donuts with dad. And uh, it's turned into, because I'm high maintenance, it's turned into dad gets his coffee at Sugar Browns. Then we go get the kids donuts. And uh, on this particular morning, we ran through Sugar Browns by our house, and I got an Americano, one pump of Sugar Browns. That's what I like. And it took probably 90 seconds. Like, my friend Brian was working there. Man, boom, he got me covered. Carolyn Tate showed Brian old bunny. It was a great morning, right? Got coffee, move on. We go across the way to another great uh, donut place, or a great donut place for like Rita's, and normally they're super fast. But this particular morning, the line in the drive-thru was long, and there were people inside. I don't know if everybody was ordering uh, 24 dozen of variety pack. I don't know, but it was taking forever. And so uh, all I needed was an apple fritter and a pink donut with sprinkles. Like, that's just super simple. That's all I need. It, it literally took, I don't know, 10 or 12 minutes to, to get these donuts. And so by that time, like, I like to kind of push things that I'm notoriously late. So we're, we're pushing it. If we're going to be on time for school, I got to go. So I'm driving fast, let's put it that way, okay, um, to get to school and uh, have the kids' toothbrushes in their car because they're going to brush teeth after we eat their donuts. And so I'm like, kids, you got to brush your teeth before we get to school. We've got to go. We got to get, we got to get inside or we're going to be late. And as we're pulling into the school, Carolina Tate, as serious as she can be, our daughter in the back says, dad, I'll be honest. I, I don't think we have time to stop by Sugar Browns anymore. Like it just, I just don't think it's going to, we don't have time for that. I just laughed. I was like, Carolina Tate, my place was not the problem. Like the donuts were the problem. I, I love that because she's, uh, she, she's trying to give a, um, she's, she's dodging reality of what the actual problem is, right? Like that was, a, that was a, an excuse to get what she wanted. The root issue was, was, was her place. It was not the coffee place. Why do, I, why do I tell you that story? Probably when we're sitting here thinking about why don't we make disciples, whatever answer comes to mind I'm going to guess it's probably more of a superficial answer. What I want us to do is, is look at a few things in these two different passages, passages this morning and, and see that there are some 
deeper rooted issues and reasons why we don't make disciples. And I think if we just keep dealing with surface level issues or, or, or giving surface level excuses, we're never going to lean into making disciples. So just for clarity, this is not a, um, this is not a how do you make disciples this is not a, why should you make disciples? I want to deal, deal with some root issues, root causes of why don't we make disciples. I'll give you the first one. We don't make disciples because we love the wrong things. We love the wrong things. You don't have to turn there, but you can mark this down if you like. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Not to earn salvation, no, but because we've experienced the love of God, he loved us first. Now, if we love him, we're going we're gonna to do what he says to do. We're, we're going to obey him. So what you serve reveals what you love. What do I serve? What do you give your time, energy, and effort towards? What you give your time, energy, efforts, I would even add to that money towards, that, that reveals, what you serve reveals what you love. Now let's think about in Matthew chapter 28, what Jesus says. Verse 18, he comes to them and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So he is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He conquered death. No one stands a chance against him. Man, that's right. I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to get excited about that. <laughs> He's the king. He says, verse 19, go therefore. So in light of who I am, in light of the fact that he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who gave his life for you, who loved, himself, loved you to the point of death on a cross, because of that, therefore, go and make disciples. The driving, compelling force in us witnessing and making disciples should be the lordship of Jesus Christ. So if we're not making disciples, again, helping people know and grow in Jesus, it shows that we're disobeying God. We're disobeying Jesus. So our discipleship problem is actually a lordship problem. And if you're not obeying Jesus, then it shows a what? I think John 14, 15, it shows a lack of love, right? Because what you serve reveals what you love. We love the wrong things. You know, we, we might say, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just so busy. There's so much going on. I, I get that. But what we're saying when we're saying, I'm just too busy to be intentional about helping people grow in Jesus, whether it be my kids, whether it be my family, whether it be my coworkers, what we're actually saying is that functionally, whatever it is that I'm giving my time, energy, and efforts to is more important than Jesus. What we're saying practically is that maybe not with our, our, our hearts or with our mouths, but with our actions, we're saying that we love these things more than we love Jesus. Because if we love him, we'll obey him. And he's told us to go and make disciples. That's what we are to be about. 
remember a few weeks ago, I was spending time in the morning just praying, reading my Bible, and was processing through some things of what does God want me to do, and am I, am I clinging to too many of the wrong things? And I felt like the Lord, this maybe seemed cheesy, I don't know, but I felt like he was like, I just need you to put your hands out in front of you as I was praying. So I put my hands out in front of me. And again, uh, it's hard to put words to what you feel like the Holy Spirit is telling you, but uh, in my gut, what I, what I felt like the Lord was saying is, Brandon, when you are holding and clinging to the wrong things, hiding them from me, it's hard for me to take you by the hand and, and lead you how I want to lead you. We are meant to live in an open-handed posture. And so what happens is when we cling and love the wrong things, whether it be, um, man, trying to find, um, I don't want to say this too strongly because I get it's just a season of life, but if, if it's trying to find my identity and worth and how well my kids do in sports, like, so I'm going to travel the nation all year long and, and never spend time with my kids, helping them grow in the Lord. But that shows I'm clinging to my identity and their identity in sports a little bit too long. And it's hard for G, or too hard. And it's hard for God to grow you and grow them in their discipleship if you're clinging to that and not just saying, God, I submit to you, be in charge of my life. Y'all with me on, does this make sense? Or whether it's like uh, being obsessed with finding success in our career or in looking a certain way when you cling to those things, it's hard for you to embrace the discipleship opportunities God is giving to you because you're loving the wrong things. Friends, what if every morning you started out your day, maybe literally with an open-handed posture of Jesus, I love you, help me to obey you, which means helping people know and grow in Jesus. Jesus, here I am. My life is yours. How would your discipleship look and how would the people that you do life with and get to influence, how would their growth in Jesus look if you begin every day with an open-handed posture? You know, that, that love of comfort, of self, of pursuing what we want is really what I think drives, that love of ease is what drives the second reason we don't make disciples is this. Number two, we don't make disciples because information is easier than transformation. Information is easier than transformation. Listen, being a Christian following Jesus is not just about learning stuff. It's about living like Jesus. It's about obeying him and doing what he's called us to do. It's, it's action is being made into the image of Jesus Christ. Look at back again in verse, excuse me, in Matthew 28, look at verse 19. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. Or some translations may say, obey. He doesn't just say, teaching them all of that that I've commanded. Well, that's part of it. He says, teaching them to observe, teaching them to obey. Discipleship, growing in Christ-likeness is not just a download of information. It, it, it is information, but that's not, again, that's not the end, that's the beginning, but that should lead you to transformation of, of obedience, of being like Christ. See, being a Christian is not just knowing something, it's being something. 
And too often we view discipleship in our, in our homes, in our churches as just learning, 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 learning information. That's just part of it. It's about going and being and doing the things of God. So in your own life, if you see discipleship as just how much head knowledge you have, you're going to hit a lid real quick because that's not what God has for you. And if in your discipleship of others, of, of helping your friends, your family, your coworkers, your, your, uh, fellow, your classmates, your, your kids, if your idea of, of discipleship is just them learning a bunch of information, there's, you're going to hit a lid. Discipleship is transformation, not just information. Are, are we obeying? Are we actually doing what God has called us to do? Or are we just talking about it? I read an article recently. I love what it said. It was meant for people uh, who, who serve in a church, the, the article was, and particularly people who preach on a platform. And he said, your, the sermon you live out in front of your people in daily life will always preach louder than the sermon you preach on the platform. It's totally true. Because Christianity is about transformation, not just information. It, it makes me think of uh, information is like just gathering a bunch of bricks, but transformation is building something with them. Jesus, think about in, in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus at the end of that said, the wise man is the person who, who heeds, obeys my words, and that person is like a person who builds his what? His house on the, on the rock. Man, I love that. I just heard lots of like preteen and middle school and high school answer that. Way to go, kids, parents. It's up our game, all right? You build your house on the rock when you, when you obey his word. So not just know a bunch of stuff, not just have a bunch of facts, but you actually live it out. That's what it means to build your house on a rock. So Jesus has this picture of, of discipleship, of, of building. Too many times we think of discipleship of just collecting all of these bricks, and we're, we're going to get to heaven like, Jesus, I have 14,000 bricks. Aren't they cool? And I think he would rightfully answer us or with a question, did you build anything with him? What about in, in the people, in your, again, with your family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates? Are you just thinking of discipleship as just, I'm going to tell them some verses, or are you actually helping them build something in their walk with Christ? Listen, collecting bricks is easy. It really is. Building something, you'll get dirty and sweaty. <laughs> That's what discipleship is. It's going to take hard work and it's going to get messy sometimes because it requires you to actually walk out what you're learning for your own discipleship. But with other people and making disciples, it requires you to actually walk with people. You can sit in an ivory tower and just send out Facebook messages of what it means to grow in Christ and they may learn something, but to actually see transformation, you've got to walk with people. It's execution. It's carrying it out. It's not just a wildly important goal of discipleship. No, what matters is actually execution, actually seeing it happen, transformation happen. In the four disciplines of execution, the authors uh, say the third discipline, you've got to keep a compelling scorecard. It's a it's more a business book, but thinking about goals, so you have to keep a compelling scorecard. And I love that in thinking about discipleship. Because again, too often, I think our, our, our compelling scorecard in discipleship is we think, I've learned a bunch of stuff. And again, that's just the starting line. That's not the finish line. I think a, a compelling scorecard for us in discipleship is keeping some form 
of a prayer log or a prayer journal. I want to be legalistic about this, but when you pray for your own discipleship, your own growth in Christ, and for um, the discipleship, the growth of other people, and you pray for that, you regularly go back and see that prayer log, what, begin, what begins to be your goal is transformation and not information, right? Like, I think about when I'm, when I'm praying for people in my life or, it, gosh, my own family, I'm never praying. While I want the kids to learn more Bible stories and scripture, I never pray that they would learn, God, would you help Haddon to memorize Matthew 28? Like, I don't, I'm never, I've never prayed that. I don't intend to. I have prayed, God, would you help Haddon to be a little disciple maker? <laughs> First, he's got to know you, God. I know that. But like, once you save him, would you help him to turn the world upside down as he tells people about Jesus? I like that prayer. God likes that prayer, not just head knowledge. Satan has the Bible memorized. The Pharisees knew the Bible, but clearly they didn't live it out. Know it and then live it. We've heard it over and over again this year. Read, that's the first part. Love and live it. Read, love, live. I think a great way to keep on that goal of seeing people grow in Christ is to pray specifically for them. Pray for the lost people you don't know that they would be saved. Pray for your classmates that they would be saved or that they would begin to plug into a church and be transformed by the grace of God. Pray for your kids. They would grow in the patience of Christ. Pray and look for transformation because the Holy Spirit helping us is the only way we're going to make disciples. we got to pray. Speaking of needing help, third reason we don't make disciples is because we forget God is with us. We forget that God, the Holy Spirit, is with us to help us. Look back at chapter 28, verse 20, the end of that section, the very end of the book of the Gospel of Matthew. He says, Jesus says, and remember, don't forget, I am with you always to the end of the age. It is God's presence with us that enables us, empowers us, equips us to make disciples. And no wonder we don't lean into helping people know and grow in Jesus because too often we have this mindset that we're just on our own. Man, I can't really do this. I'm not good at this. You're not alone. God is with you. It makes me think of Matthew chapter one. He opens the gospel with, it's kind of towards the end of chapter one, but I think it's verse, uh, I'll just tell you, verse 23. He says that Jesus is, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's with us. Now, let's give clarity. I love that the order of these messages that last week we talked about the Holy Spirit. When he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Specifically, he's with us through the person, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us in every moment. And I, mean, I know that uh, Tyler touched on this last week, that the Holy Spirit in you is better than Jesus beside you. Jesus said in, in the Gospel of John that it's better that he go so he could send the Spirit to be with us. And just to like remind us one reason why that's a good thing, why it's better that the Spirit is with us, is if it was simply Jesus beside us, and we're like, all right, we're going to go make disciples. This is important. We're going to help people know and grow in Jesus. Let's go get it. After the service, we would have a knockdown drag out over who gets to take Jesus with them to help them with making disciples, right? Because 
there's only one of him. And I don't know, 400 something in here right now. Like we would be arguing over who gets to take Jesus with us to go and make disciples. But because the Holy Spirit is in every single believer as we go, whether it's your house, your school, your, your work, wherever you are, your football, it's not football season, your, your baseball field, wherever you go, God is with you to help you make disciples. Look over, and we saw, I told you to keep your finger in, in Acts chapter one. Remember, Acts one, he says, you'll receive the uh, power, power to, to witness, power to share the gospel, power to make disciples when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses. Then if you look at Acts chapter two, sure enough, the Holy Spirit came to believers to indwell them. Jesus kept his promise that we could have the Holy Spirit to go and make disciples. If you look at uh, verse four of Acts one, it says, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. You're better to stay home than to go alone. Like if you're not going to realize you get to go in the power of God to go and make disciples, that he is with you in every single moment as you share the gospel and, and point people to Christ and help them grow in Christ. If you're going to forget that God is with you, then yeah, you might as well stay home because on your own, you're not going to do it. On your own, it's a hopeless effort. But friends, God is with you. It makes me think of in Exodus chapter four, God has called Moses this was God's idea, not, not Moses' idea. God has called Moses to, to deliver the Israelites from Egypt, the Exodus, to take, to take them out of Egypt. And he's talking to Moses, and Moses is nervous. He's scared, and so God's trying to encourage him. And Moses at one point says, God, I, by the way, just to back up for a second, in, like in chapter three, God's told Moses so many times, I will be with you. I will do this. I heard the cry of my people. I'm gonna do this. But Moses is like, God, you know, I've, I'm... I have trouble speaking. I'm not eloquent. I've always had trouble with my words. And so God, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I can do this. You know what God doesn't do? He doesn't say, now Moses, you give yourself some credit, man. Like you're way more awesome than you think. <laughs> he doesn't say, now Moses, go look in the mirror. I have gifted you. You're amazing. It's going to be okay. He doesn't tell him that either. He says, Moses, who made your mouth? Who made your ears? I will be with you. Don't look to the mirror. Look to your maker. He's going to be with you. Friends, go have that conversation in your classroom. Take that coworker to lunch and be intentional. Sit down with that family member. Sit down at night with your kids and read scripture knowing God is there with you. And you feel inadequate and hopeless, and you remember God's got your back. Your effectiveness in discipleship is not dependent on you. It's dependent on your maker. He's good at what he does. The fact that God is with us in discipleship is what makes this fourth point, this fourth reason that we don't make disciples just kind of silly. It's this. We don't make disciples because we're, we're waiting for the perfect moment. We're, we're waiting and holding off until we feel like it's that perfect moment. Friends, listen. Jesus, in, in, in the book of Acts, 
did not say, hey, look, disciples, you're going to get the Holy Spirit, but then I want you to take a 45-week course on what it means to make disciples, and I want you to really, really, just really dig in for a couple years to the spiritual gifts and, and practice a witnessing for, you need at least 10 uh, college course credits, and then you'll be ready to make disciples. No. Wait till you have the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit, go. <laughs> go make disciples. You don't got to wait around. You don't have to figure everything out perfectly. The, the only thing that they lacked was the Holy Spirit. And once they had him, go. Friends, we're on, from your perspective, we're on this side of Pentecost. If you've trusted Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. It's time for you to make disciples. It's time for me to make disciples. That's what we're to be about. We have the Holy Spirit. Look back in Matthew 28. Maybe you, you noticed this and, and found it interesting like I did. But in Matthew 28, I'm just going to start in verse 16 again. And you're going to notice something interesting in verse 17. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples. Some doubted. Never noticed that till this week. That word doubt is the same exact word that is used about Peter when he was walking on the water toward Jesus. Was, right? Like, he got out of the boat. He's got faith. He's walking towards water, or walking towards Jesus. But then he sees the waves and the wind. He kind of takes his eyes off of Jesus and he doubts and he begins to sink. And what does Jesus do? Goes and gets him by the hand and says, oh, you have little faith. He, he doubted. It's the same word here. So it's not to doubt like, I'm not following you, Jesus, anymore. I, I forget you. No, it's, it's Jesus, I see you. I believe you. I trust you. But the word literally has the definition of hesitancy. I'm just, Jesus, I believe you, but I'm, I'm also hesitant. I'm kind of struggling because I have some questions, which rightfully so, Peter, people don't normally walk on the water. And even here, like they, they're seeing Jesus. And I, I think several commentators uh, agree with this perspective. Part of the hesitancy, the doubt could have still been like, whew, I can't believe he, I still, like he's actually alive. Like, what do we do with this? He was dead for sure, three days, now he's alive. Ooh, I, I believe, but I've got some doubt. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you three over there, I caught that doubt. Psh, you're out of here. Good luck next year. <laughs> no, he told all of them, go. Make disciples. Y'all, if every time you and I have a question or a hesitancy or a struggle in our faith is every time we go, no, forget it. I'm just going to push back and I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to lead. I'm not going to be intentional with anybody. I've got to figure all my questions out. We would never do anything. Part of the normal Christian life, even on this side of the resurrection of Jesus, is to occasionally have those doubts and those questions, but still say, Jesus, I can't make sense of all this right now, but I believe you. I have questions. I have struggles but I, I trust you. It, that's important for you in making disciples, but also in your own discipleship. I, I want to, if, if you've not been listening carefully, listen carefully here so you're not confused. 
I want to real quick give an example that I think will help you in your own walk with Christ, but also as you're discipling others. We often, uh, our staff, when we talk about baptism, we, we uh, relate it to a wedding ring, which right this moment I can't get mine off, so we'll just leave it on, okay? We say that baptism is like a wedding ring in that baptism is not what saves you. A wedding ring is not what makes you married. But it's a picture, it's a a proclamation. was the R word I was going to use. I don't know. (laughs) It's a proclamation that, hey, it's a reminder that you have been saved. If you you get baptized, it's a picture. I've trusted Jesus Christ. Y'all with me? The, The ring is a picture, a reminder, a proclamation that I am married. So think about like, Lauren and I got married April 16th, 2011. What if I, after we got married, was like, I'm just going to hold off my wedding ring. Like, I'm just not feeling it quite yet. Or like, I mean, I'm committed, but I just, I don't know if I'm ready to wear the wedding ring. You would be right to be like, bro, it's just a ring. What matters is you made a commitment. And now this is an important picture, important reminder, important proclamation that you are married. So if you're married, you should put it on. Y'all, baptism is like that. If you've trusted Jesus for salvation, then baptism is the next step in obedience. Remember, if you love him, you will obey him. If if you've trusted Christ for salvation, then baptism is the next step of showing people, hey, I've trusted Jesus. He saved my life. So it's not like, well, I'm still thinking about it. I'm not sure I'm feeling it yet. I'm not sure I'm ready yet. Well, do you know him? Then it's time to get baptized. Y'all still y'all track it with me? If, if you're here this morning, you've trusted Christ for salvation, you've not been baptized, I was like, what are you waiting on? And if you need to talk to your, with your parents and they're like, want to make sure you understand the gospel and everything, like, I, I, I get that. As parents, I got your back. I promise I do. But for those of you that have been saved 5, 10, 12 years, just like, I don't know, dude, it's time. It's time to be obedient. Similarly, as we make disciples, it's silly for us to go, well, like I'm still, I'm not sure I'm feeling it yet. I'm still waiting. I'm still, I'm still not sure it's time to, to make disciples. No, if you know Jesus, it's time to make disciples. It's time to, to be serious about investing in other people. Students, you don't have to wait till you're an adult. Like now's the time to make disciples. Adults, you don't have to wait till you have every question answered or until you feel right. No, if you know Jesus, now's the time. Parents, you don't have to wait till your kids are a certain age. I would say, actually, if you wait till a certain age, you've been waiting too long. Like the day they're born, it's a good time to read the Bible to them. I mean, you could read to them while they're in your wife's womb. I don't know. Like, it's never too early to begin pushing them, pointing them towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't wait. The perfect time is right now. Why don't we make disciples? Wait for the perfect time. We forget that God is with us. Information is easier than transformation. And we love the wrong things. But this is what we're to be about. The gospel, if we really believe the gospel changes everything, then then we should be making disciples. We say we want to find our greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. That's what this is. 
Like, we're all about the pleasure part of, I love Jesus, he loves me, it's good, but your purpose is to go and make disciples. Like, if we get to heaven's throne and we did a lot of pleasure, but never purpose, lived out our faith in Christ and making disciples, then we've not done what God's called us to do. C.T. Studd was the stud who was overcome by this idea of we've got to make disciples, we've got to invest in others, we've got to, to, to help people know and grow in Jesus. And the, there's urgency to it. It's right now, it's gotta happen. He wrote a poem. It says, two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart for my mind would not depart only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to me and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life, soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say it was worth it all. Only one life soon will pass, will be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. God, whatever our excuse for not making disciples, Jesus is bigger and better. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.